0: Hello and welcome to the Growing Mums podcast with me, Kira Hawkins. I'm a primary school teacher, and ordinary mum of two, trying to muddle through motherhood and learn from my mistakes along the way. Here we will be talking all things modern parenting, from baby and toddler sleep to self-development and growth. We will be having those raw conversations that we often don't get a chance to have in the playground and we will be searching for those moments where we find connection through shared experiences so get ready for some expert advice as well as insightful motherhood confessions. Let's get started. Hello everybody, I hope you're having a good week. I've got a really exciting guest on today. She, I'm such a big fan of hers. I actually bought her sleep course uh, when Betsy was just maybe six months old and I was in the depths of despair my baby would only fall asleep on me or on the boob and um yeah she's just amazing she's so experienced she's got 25 years worth of experience with children she's been a nanny and then she moved on to being a sleep consultant she's got her own podcast loads of free resources on instagram and she also works one-to-one so um and e-courses as well. I don't know if I mentioned that. So here she is, Care it Out Sleep Consultant, Kerry Secker. I really can't wait for this chat. Hi, Kerry. It is honestly such an honour to even be on a Zoom call with you. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. No, honestly, my absolute pleasure. I'm really, really excited to chat to you today. Oh, thank you so much. I mean, we talked a little bit before um, about imposter syndrome because I was saying, oh my gosh, I, I, you know, the podcast is going really well, but I quite often get bouts of imposter syndrome where I think, can I really do this? But you were saying that everybody has that.
1: Yeah, definitely. One, you really can do this. In fact, it's you're doing it, you're doing it. And the other thing is, yeah, 100%, I'm always really honest and upfront here. I still get imposter syndrome all the time yeah. probably every day what am i doing who do you think you are what will people say <laughs> why are you doing this just what are you doing
0: yeah absolutely i mean it's like it's human nature isn't it but i actually i don't know if you follow roxy nafusi do you the manifesting guru no, um, but
1: I'm oh happy.
0: well i yeah basically i read her book and that's how i even came about to start my own podcast is because it just talks about removing fear of what others think and doubt about whether you can do it and if you just literally put those aside then you can just do whatever you're you dream of doing do anything I'm
1: definitely going to look for up, and I do believe that fear can definitely hold you back a bit or we'll hold um, us back
0: yeah absolutely yeah oh but nothing's holding you back like you're literally flying how has it been <laughs> how has it been um coming back since you were on maternity leave
1: oh um, I'm gonna not gonna lie it was not easy always knew that I was going to come back to work because I love my job I really did I just wanted to have a little bit of time for me and I want to show my, well, my little girl Betsy yeah, yeah. like I've worked really hard to get here trained been doing it a long time really do what I do and I wanted her to see that that it's yes. okay to do something for ourselves so I've only come back to work two days and one evening. And I'll be honest, in the beginning, I found it really difficult. Not necessarily because I missed her. I did. I did miss her. In fact, I had to go home for a sniff today just to sniff I got sheet. Oh, <laughs> I missed her so much. I, was, I mean, I was home anyway. Um, but because I just found it really difficult in, it's just such a big transition. It was that realisation that my mat leave was over and I had such a lovely time on mat leave. But also, I found it really difficult in the sense that before I had her, I was really productive at work. I was all about a task and to do list. I would go, go, go. I was super busy all the time. I just didn't have time to think. And coming back to work, I, I'm still productive, and I still get a lot of things done. But it took me a long time to slow down and surrender that it is a completely different pace.
0: Mm-hmm. And that
1: some say it's okay that you not picking off great big things or you don't have a big project on it is enough to do what you do and do it well so yes coming back was really hard settling into nursery a whole other ball game that took some time um but i'm really glad i did it and now i'm really enjoying my job like i've always enjoyed it but i definitely feel i've slowed down so much that I actually have felt like I've always enjoyed it, but making, having her has made me slow down and it's brought the joy back to my job. Mm. Like I'm no longer thinking, right, I've got to get to the next thing or I've got to achieve this. And I've actually found a new connection with the families and, and the work I do, which is just so lovely. So yeah, definitely enjoying it now,
0: but at a time. That is incredible to hear that you're really enjoying it now. And like, I think all mums go through that process as well, where you kind of beat yourself up because you're like, I've got less time now and I need to achieve so much in that time but to be going yeah. back and remembering that the whole point point in you doing it is for the joy of it um yeah and the connection with the families and everything I mean that's just incredible that you know even in the even in a short few months you've managed to get to that place well done you
1: oh thank you connection has always been really important to me I've always needed a lot of connection in relationships with work it's- And actually, connection is at the the core of everything I do, uh, tear it out as well. So I know I've always needed that. Um, But yeah, I'm really, really enjoying, really, really enjoying it. And I actually now don't think that... Obviously, I want to be successful, but I've actually got no intention at the moment to grow a bigger business or to do all of the things. And do you know what? I'm actually okay with that because... I want to be present for my daughter and I want to be at home when I can but I also really want to smash it in the workplace and that is the way to do that is to just slow down and just accept and surrender that this isn't it's not my season to be doing massive projects and traveling and 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 that's okay They're, the time will come again I'm sure
0: <laughs> yeah 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 absolutely it will I mean you're just putting in your boundaries at the moment aren't you like you don't want your time with your daughter to suffer so this is how it's going to be for a while no I think that's absolutely amazing I'm actually coming out of the other side but I don't know but I've always done jobs that really fit in around the kids so I'm a primary school teacher that's what I did before children and then I've done since having kids my first is now four and a bit um I've done jobs that fit in around the kids but I I have felt that I've put my work on the back burner for the last four years and now I'm really excited to like I just I want to like just smash it and feel successful yeah. again and like yeah and, but again not not to the detriment of my kids but they're now a bit up you know Betsy's at school now which gives frees me up a little bit more time to do stuff and I'm really excited to just like yeah going with it yeah it's good to sm- I
1: think it's really good and healthy to have goals and want to smash it and that's exciting and yeah I can't even imagine my Betsy being at school that's just absolutely insane how's that transition gone for you
0: I know we've both got a Betsy as well which is so lovely I know um yeah the school transition has been absolutely amazing oh my goodness I mean we've skipped ahead because I I would love for you to tell us a bit about you as well and who you are and what you do but um I can always do a bit of editing but the school transition I has blown me away because Betsy she was a lockdown baby you know we went into lockdown when she was 6 months old she's always been really really you know attached to me not really wanted anyone else caring for her you know re- quite rejecting of her dad at times as well um and then it was then when i had my second it was so intense because they both needed me so heavily um and she never really settled into a preschool setting like she she'd go but it was always a worry she was getting worked you know upset before She'd have big, like what's it called? The after school collapse when she'd get home. Yeah. Um, and with this school, we obviously just picked the right one. She is just thriving, so confident, so happy, loves it, has got loads of friends. Like it's just been such a lifesaver. From it's yeah. like just giving me a, a breather that she's okay and she's happy somewhere. Um, and yeah. just being able to focus on my son as well. My my friend. Um, sent me a message and she was like is it nice getting to know Wilf now Betsy's at school and I'm like yeah it literally (laughs) is like that Um, because I've just he's been there you know obviously I've been looking after him but uh, no it's very nice to now give him that devoted time. A little bit of time yeah that's
1: amazing here I love that we both got Betsy's. it's a
0: great name. Yeah oh Um, but yeah please could you just tell us a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do? Yeah, so my name is Grace Secker, I'm an infant
1: sleep consultant and founder of Care It Out. And I am on a mega mission to actually to do two things. It's to normalise infant sleep because there are so many myths when it comes to infant sleep and I just want to normalise so much for parents. So I'll always be honest about everything when it comes to infant sleep, including my own. And then I'm also here to, always here for reassurance first, I'm also here to help support parents to a more settled night sleep without sleep training.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I do this in a, almost a month to one, Betsy. I do this in a variety of different ways. I have my own podcast as well, which you are more than welcome to come on. We'll talk about that afterwards. Um, so I have my podcast I do a weekly Q&A on my Instagram page if In I do two on my Instagram page I do a and a box on a Sunday night and then a live Q&A on a Thursday I think I have been doing those things for the last eight years regardless wow. like it's very rare that I would miss a week it's bonkers wow um, I also have how else do I do it this is a good question Blog. I work one to one. I have an online courses as well, and then I also work one to one with families. But I always try. My mission is to try and make sleep support available as possible to parents. I know not everybody is in a position to work one to one. It's a cost. It's a time. And I know that's not available to everybody. So I try to make my appro- myself and my approach as available as possible.
0: Mm, absolutely, and you totally have. You know, you've got such a range, haven't you? You've got so many free resources. I remember downloading. You know, this is like literally four years ago now. Downloading one of your eBooks and then getting one of your it, like it, you had this sort of e um book. It was an eBook, wasn't it? And then get downloading yeah. one of your courses and stuff. Anyway, yeah, your your work is absolutely amazing, and you do you are different because you do normalize infant sleep, and you're like. Well, I, am I right in saying your message is what whatever works for the individual? I mean, I know a lot of a lot of sleep consultants do say this, but you're kind of like, if you're co-sleeping and you're both loving it, what's the problem? Sort of thing. Yeah,
1: yeah, hundred percent. Nothing is ever a problem for you. There are no bad habits. There's no road for your own back. I in fact I wrote a post about this earlier this week. Um, I can't help but think that if we took off that pressure about because that pressure to get your little ones to sleep through the night from day one nobody's immune to that I remember my first night from the hospital home with Betsy I was like what's going on why aren't you sleeping why have you not got the memo it was the most horrific night ever mm. so nobody is immune to that that pressure to get them to sleep through the night and it's from a really early age but I would love I don't think I'll ever see it in in my time but I would love to that we just took off that pressure because sleeping through the night is something that as adults we don't even do yet mm-hmm. we're trying to get our little ones to do it and mm-hmm. I do think if we took off that pressure and that expectation that they've got to be sleeping through the night we're doing these certain things by x aid then mm-hmm. chances are it would definitely not make it any less tired because let's face it mm-hmm. parenting exhausting even when you're mm-hmm. getting sleep um, but I think so many more parents would be walking around a lot less stressed because it's that fear that it's your fault, that you're failing if Mm. they're waking frequently at night time. So that really is the very core of my message. And then after that, it's, I'm here to help you make changes, care if you want to. Always going to say, if co-sleeping is working for you, crack on, if feeding sleep is working for you, you're not a bad habit, it doesn't need to stop. Um, I would always say those things first, same with feeding at night, but if you want to make changes, there are caring ways you can do that and mm-hmm. I would I always like to say there's if waiting out is working for you crack on because again I'm always talking about this even if you did nothing now you never did any sleep training you never put a tip in place you never made actively made any changes to your sleep your small will eventually fall asleep by themselves in their own bed and sleep for the night it's not something we have to teach so that's working for you grand. If on the other end of that, I'm always very honest and clear where I stand on crying and crying it out and sleep training, I'm not anti it. I i am not anti it, does that make sense? I'm not anti it. Yeah. I am very much the parents are the experts of their mm. children and only they know what is the best thing for them. So mm. I'm more about informed choice. So again, if sleep training, it worked for you, it, it resonates, it makes sense, crack on. I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm not going to tell you just to wait it out if it's got to the point where you're sleep deprived every day. just seems as it's unsustainable. Mm. Neither am I going to tell you that the only way is that you've got to seek train or leave them to cry. Mm. I would never, ever advise to do.
0: Really? That's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. You, you're, What you've said about... I think, I think the, the pressure parents feel for their children to sleep to, through the night. I mean, I think when you first have a baby and you've got your old granny comes over and they go, do they sleep through the night? And they're three weeks old. Then that does feel like, oh, should they be? But I think once you can forget about that, I think for me, the, the pressure came from, I was miserable, like utterly yeah. miserable from lack of sleep. Um, you know, to the point where, And, well, both times, but particularly second time round, there was a toddler involved who needed their mum to not be um, a a shouty, screechy, lose my temper at the slightest thing, you know, um, misery, basically. So I think, I think like the reason people sleep train and and do extreme things is out of desperation. I think... Yeah, absolutely. So if you've got somebody like you saying, look, you don't have to do anything, but I can help you do it in whatever way you're comfortable, um, then I think that's amazing because that just feels like a warm hug in a, in a basically a minefield. The sleep stuff is a minefield and you seem to have both camps, like sleep training is abuse and then... um, and then people who say you're you're making bad habits, you you have to do this. Whereas, so to have someone in the middle, that is just such a, um, that's lovely, I think. And what probably yeah. all parents need when they're in that vulnerable time. Yeah, I love that.
1: Honestly, all I want to be to parents is a hug and a huge help and a huge reassurance. That is at the very intention of everything I will ever put out there. I totally agree with you that there does seem to be these two camps of, Camp cry it out, camp, wait it out, do nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, neither extremes I think are particularly he- healthy or helpful. There's always nuance to absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. I'm never a fan of sweeping black and white statements. And I've worked, I should have said this in the beginning, but I was actually a nanny, so from nineteen to thirty eight. So for nearly twenty years, I was a nanny before mm-hmm. I set this up. So collectively I've got I've got another birthday coming up. I've got, oh my gosh, 25 years of experience me 25 years' experience of working with little ones. And if I've learned anything from that time is that every family is different, every small is different, nothing ever works for everybody. And you've just got to do what works for you. Everything mm-hmm. I'll always be an advocate of doing what works for you. And I've done exactly the same with my baby. Everybody was very curious when I had Betsy, like, oh, oh I bet your future. I had people text family tell me oh, I bet your sleep train, oh, I, you like your sleep, I bet your you're sleep train, there's no way you'll not do that. And I'm like, I just, there was part of me being honest that thought, gosh, what happens if I do do a complete turnaround? Because I'd had lots of friends that were nannies and had children, and they completely changed their mm-hmm. whole perspective on parenting and children. But I think they were coming at it from being a very traditional nanny and using sleep training and You know, all all of those things, like a very traditional nanny, where I've always been somebody from the more, and again, there's no right or wrong, but my, and I won't say my approach is right, but I was always from a very gentle, caring, nurturing Mm -hmm. perspective. But I did think, what happens if I just turn around? What will I do? I "I can't just rebrand. It would blow my business down. (laughs) Anyway, I didn't. It was (laughs) There was no way I could have ever left her to cry. Right. Never did any sleep training, and even if I wanted to, my husband would have definitely been the voice of reason because I don't think he understood what I did and what sleep training was until he had his daughter, and then he was just like, "Yeah, there's no way I could leave her to cry." He he's in there before me. I'm like, "She's absolutely fine. She's literally just stretching," and he's like, "Oh my gosh, she needs me." I'm like. Oh, <laughs> so Tim,
0: that's so lovely that he's so tuned in but you're you're also right I do feel like you know couples quite often aren't exactly on the same page with this like um my husband and I don't want to paint him in a bad light but he he didn't have I was the one that would that to start with saying I can't leave them you know eat at the tiniest murmur I'd be in there or um I'd be like bringing them into our bed or whatever. And uh, he's the one that's like, no, they're okay. And actually sometimes, and and like you probably were, sometimes you do need that. Like if you're, I was a bit jumpy, um, my, you know, from such sleep deprivation, my nervous system was in high alert, overdrive. And he's like, hang on, calm down, they're okay. They know. So yeah, I think people, this is a tricky one for couples because quite often so one of them, thinks we need to do we need to do something drastic here and the other one just can't because they're really in tune to the crying or whatever uh, can be really tricky can't it
1: super tricky and I just want to acknowledge that it is so common I probably see one family a week in practice that are on different pages because we're always going to come at it with different opinions and different thoughts. And for some families, it can be a real sticking point and it can be really, really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's really important to acknowledge that um, it, can, it can be really tough. We're never going to see... No two parents are going to do exactly the same thing or have exactly the same thought or opinions on doing something. Also, what you said about the... Um, Like your body going into alert like that it's so true and it's meant to the sound of your baby crying at night time is meant to go through you like nothing else it's meant to be that you can't ignore it i call it the sleep siren because your baby relies on you for survival so it can't just be a little mule otherwise you're not going to go to them you'll be able to ignore it and go back to sleep and actually this sleep fascinates me but this fact particularly fascinates me because did you know the tempo of your baby's cry and pitch will change in order so that you keep alert that like their cries aren't consistent and it's the same you know the ambulance siren and the police car sirens they change pitch and tempo over time and then they repeat it so that you don't you can't just tune it out Mm. and when you hear your baby cry or get upset your immediate reaction is to go into that fight or flight mode because you're like right where's that where's that lion? Mm. You go into your mama bear mode or papa bear mode, mm. and and that's I think it's so important to acknowledge that that is a normal response to mm. your baby crying and needing you at night time, and I will always use that response as just evidence that going. I personally don't think you need evidence to go to your baby every time they cry because your body tells you that, but mm. evidence that that is why you are designed. Babies cry is designed to get your attention like that, and you're designed mm. to feel like that. It's survival. And it made me laugh when you said you used to meerkat up, because I used to call my husband meerkat Matt, <laughs> <when we> first <laughs> For ages, when Betsy was born, I actually slept in the lounge with her because she was up feeding so frequently, like every newborn, every one and a half to two hours. And right. I actually found it easier just be having, logistically, having more room in the lounge. I wasn't disturbing my husband, who did have to go to work the next day. We were a team, but he was the one going to work and need to be complimented And also, I just felt more comfortable in there because I could spread out a bit. I could have the light on, I put music on. Sometimes I just have the TV on. on. Mm -hmm. And so, the first time we moved back into the bedroom, she was probably like eight or nine weeks. And all night, every time she stirred or literally the sheet made a noise, he would literally sit bolt (laughs) upright. What's up with her? And I'm like, you just need to calm yourself down. You just need to calm down. She's absolutely fine. Like, are you awake, Kerry? I think she needs you. I'm like, I am awake because mums, we never really sleep, do we? Sleep is never No, not while you have got one eye open.
0: And particularly not while you're breastfeeding. Like that, again, is a, is a biological thing, isn't it?
1: And it's not even, I never breastfed Betsy. She would never come to the breast. So I pumped to begin with. Gosh, um,
0: what well
1: on you? That is incredible. Uh, it, I didn't, uh, again, I'm always honest about my breastfeeding journey. I, I pumped for a while, but in the end, it got to the point where, I was miserable, like I would pump, I would feed her on the bottle, then I would watch her to get my um, milk going. I would pump, I'd pump seven or eight times a day and I'd get an ounce.
0: I mean, mean, it is soul destroying and it is exhausting because you're doing double the work.
1: Yeah, so I very, I did quite quickly. I had lots of support from an amazing lactation consultant um, and it did get to the point where I just felt i was done all this work it was taking time because i could never got the hang of being able to pump with Betsy on me i always needed two hands to i've got big boobs to pump um it was just a logistical nightmare so that didn't work for us so yeah i've gone off on a tangent there so, but i just wanted to say that it isn't just breastfeeding mm. like i'm still very pro I, your boobs are never to blame boobs breastfeeding is not your fault i hate that narrative that as soon as a tired parent tells you that you're breastfeeding, you've got to the, the immediate response that well, you've got to get them on formula because then they'll sleep better. Spoiler well, um, alert, they don't. Yeah. And um, that you have to stop breastfeeding to get better sleep because you don't have to do that. Um, it that just didn't it just didn't work out for me. But I still never slept. So I know when she's going to wake up before she's even woken up. It's just mm-hmm. an, an instinct. I'm literally laying there sleeping with my eyes open until she next needs me. Really mm. weird. It's no, weird.
0: absolutely. And I'm really glad that you've said that about your breastfeeding journey because that, you know, you live and lo- you learn something every day because I, I thought, I thought when I stopped breastfeeding, my kids will sleep. Um, and it's, it wasn't really that. That's not, that's not what happened at all, um, particularly with my first, but I'm also so glad somebody like you who's got a high profile is sharing actually breastfeeding you tried and it just didn't work for you and you pumped I mean honestly the women like because this is the same happened to me to start with with my first um pumping people underestimate how bloody hard that is it is it was
1: so hard, hard. It was so um, draining
0: yeah, so absolutely. Hard. Um, yeah, so, me. yeah absolutely so thank you so much for sharing that and you know Happy mum, happy baby. And I actually stopped breastfeeding my second, you know, sooner than, I mean, he was fine with it actually, but because I was unhappy breastfeeding, even though I could have carried on another year, I didn't want to, I just wanted my body back. I wanted my boobs back and he loved formula. It was like, it was amazing for both of us and really made our relationship better. So like, it's just literally whatever works for you
1: yeah it will always come back down to whatever works for you and mm. I, again I will always be really honest I was very very nervous admitting publicly that I didn't breastfeed I think she had two or three feeds on the breast probably in that time actually like, we just I we ha- I had so much support and it was a hardest thing because when you imagine having a baby breastfeeding is all the images are always a serene looking mom sitting there gazing lovingly at her baby that mm. is not what happened to her like it was such a stress trying to get her on the breast. And she was really, she was on time, but she was really small. She was only five pounds at birth and starving. So I do think if she'd been a bit bigger and she wasn't so starving all the time, I probably would have kept going a little bit longer. Um but yeah, I think it's so important that we share our stories. It might not be somebody might be listening to this and completely disagree with what I did. But
0: that's so.
1: that's them you have to do what works always have to do what works for you and I always I did I have shared if anybody is interested I did share my breastfeeding journey on both I've got two pages on my um like business account and then on my personal account as well because I think it helped massively and I, I remember the night I posted that I was actually shaking pressing the send button because it's so vulnerable to share that but I had so I think I had one, a couple of messages going, All oh, a bit disappointed he didn't breastfeed. I, I still don't know how you can be disappointed about someone else's choice of their baby. Blows my mind. But I had hundreds of messages of support and similar mums in similar situations. So I found it really helpful.
0: Oh my goodness, I... firstly I cannot believe anybody is even saying anything about that but secondly you know and secondly um I'm so glad you shared that because I honestly feel like that is one of the hardest things that a mother can go through is when they want to breastfeed and Mm -hmm. for some physiological reason tongue tie small babies premature baby whatever it is they they can't breast they don't have the breastfeeding journey they want it is like for some people, it's such an instinct and it is, I I feel still from when my first wouldn't latch on, I still feel really like it's so traumatic, to be honest, is the word for it, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, and telling people, like, again, I hate that now that we're going off on a tangent here, but telling mums that they just need to get more support. Yes, some parent mums do need that breast support breast and it works. But there are some women out there that have all the. I literally had. Do you know Maria from Milk Making Mama? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. She's the best yeah. um, lactation consultant. Had her support. She was. She's a friend of mine, so she was on hand day and night, and I just couldn't get my milk making to make milk.
0: I mean, no, and that's so common, you know, so, so common. Absolutely. So thank you for sharing that. Like, the more we can normalize it, the better. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, no, thank you. That's great. I did, I wanted to ask you actually, what, like, how has it been with Betsy? And like, ha- if you, you don't have to share this at all, and we could talk it, uh, talk about it more generally with your clients, but what sort of techniques have you used with her? Or, or do you use with your clients when they come to you and say I really need help I don't know where to start but I know I want to go from co-sleeping to my child being in their own bed okay so
1: you want of like that very specific scenario or do you want to know what I did with Betsy
0: well it's up to you whether you're happy are you happy to share what you did with Betsy
1: I'm happy to share. Yeah, yeah. And I've I've honestly got so many posts about this anyway. So I'll be honest, my approach isn't about this one-fits-all technique. Mm-hmm. And I also want to caveat this with it doesn't make me a better parent and it doesn't make me a know-it-all, but I did have a lot of it. All I've ever done before having her is work with children and babies. I don't know, and I've never worked in an office. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think that helped when it came like the practical side of motherhood had no problems like I knew how to change a nappy and dresser and feed her and all of that the emotional side which I'm more than happy to talk about afterwards whole different ball game like the mental the uh, emotional load mental load of motherhood the impact it has on your relationship the going back to work it was all of those things I really struggled with um but coming back sleep wise I didn't use any techniques I used my approach as a whole but I didn't use any set techniques I think fundamentally, I did what worked for us, and I've always. She cries at night time. I'm always there with her every single time. But I guess there are definitely things that I have put in place as a sleep consultant. Like I can lift off, lift off some tips now. So this is. I think I'm going to stick specifically to newborn because mm. it, I think it'll be easier. But when she was a newborn, things that I did, I did not track or um, have an app for her sleep ever, which blows some people's minds. I just went with whatever was happening in the moment with her. Um, I didn't necessarily have a routine or follow any particular weight window. She didn't like my nap gap. So I have a nap gap guide. They are a very brief overview of a weight window for little ones, but she did not fit them at all. She needed a lot of time awake. I always went to her when she cried at night time. Practical things during the day, I would always have, and even now I do this, unless we accidentally sleep in, which happened yesterday when we had to be somewhere. But that's (laughs) incredibly rare. I have a wake window that I don't expect her to be up every single time to the dot every single day, but generally she's up in the same hour every day. So. If she's up, she usually wakes up between, I would say, half six and half seven. But if she's not awake by quarter to eight, regardless of the night that we've had, if I'm awake, I'm waking her up to the start of the day. Mm. Again, it, it just helps me. She has a concrete time that she starts her day. I find everything starts from the start of the day anyway. And I just find our whole day flows e- easily from there. We had lots of cuddles and connection during the day. She was she's not particularly a massive cuddly baby. She's quite an independent little thing. Yeah. Um but where possible, she was in the sling. We contact nap I love a contact nap. Yeah. Contact naps. Um I didn't worry about nap length or where her nap took place. I just focused on her getting those naps, focused very much on me being calm and being in tune with her and being present. Being present with her was a really big part. Um really something i really did try to focus on and then we always had a bedtime routine from the get go from i think even that first day home from hospital which was horrendous um it was a very simple bedtime routine like change the nappy close the curtains we bath every other day have a wash clean teeth feed then down to bed um so i would say that that is something that I think sleep hygiene even for adults is is really really helpful and then at night time um I never worried about I fed her to sleep or held her to sleep for months and months and months until that stopped working for her and I never never worried about it Mm -hmm. um but I think around three and a half four months old she did start not to fall asleep on me anymore and I noticed that it was just I think she's got FOMO and she just started to take forever, she started arching towards her cot so then we started very slowly giving her that practice to fall asleep in the cot but again I would never ever push it I'm always, if she needs me I'm always going to support her to do it so if I put her down and she did it brilliant, if she didn't fall asleep I would support her all the way to see if she needed it still do, I'm, I'm never going to change that Um, I guess if I was trying to get her down for a nap or bedtime and she wasn't asleep within 20 minutes maximum, I would just park it, take a break, try again in a bit. I don't think I've ever spent more than 15, 20 minutes trying to get to sleep. am just not here. thing, right. she's, she's not ready for sleep, park mm. it. Mm. And then at night time, the biggest thing I think um, that I've done is... I always go in with the intention of giving her her space to put herself back to it. So she wakes up and she's just flapping her legs around, making that eh, eh, it makes this really funny noise when she's tired. She goes, oing, 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 oing. <laughs> really funny. And sure, <laughs> I've never heard, I've heard lots of, I call it tired talk as when I was a nanny, but I've never heard a baby do that. It's really distinctive. Yeah. So if she's just, oing, 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 I just leave her to it. However, if she's crying, I am there straight away and I always go over to her, make eye contact, try and set her in the bed. If that doesn't work, pick her up, have a cuddle until she's asleep again, then put her back down. Never worried about getting her back to sleep awake in her cot or wake up. That is just not a thing. That so can just go in the bin. And then if that all else all fails, um, I just used to, I still do sometimes, just sit up in that, and on the sofa with her sleeping on me. I watch a bit of the TV. I haven't done that for a long time actually um but yeah I would 100% still do that is yeah. that helpful I think there's quite a few oh my there, gosh
0: so. yeah 100 no that's so helpful like you've made that really clear and also just the whole thread throughout that was just like relax it's fine like we're not going to be making bad habits here we just do whatever we need to do in the moment um yeah And yeah, no, absolutely. That is so helpful. Thank you. I've got three listener questions that I really ask you. So so we were talking about what you did with your Betsy. And um, I've actually had quite a few listener questions in about uh, that people wanted to ask you um, about what you would suggest for them. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Go for it. Fab thank you so much so one um one listener and this is actually a good friend of mine she said our two-year-old um is super used to sleeping with us so they've been co-sleeping for the last year or something because she was having her bedroom renovated how should we go about introducing her to her new room she's very sassy very determined and we feel like she will put up a huge fight
1: Okay, well, first of all, reassurance that you only need to ever stop co-sleeping if you want to, and it's not working for you. Even if you did nothing now, they would eventually sleep in their own bed, always here the reassurance first. Yeah. And also, I think, especially temperament and personality is something that we don't often talk about enough. Yeah. When when I say we, society and sleep training culture, don't talk about it enough. And... Actually, we laughed about this, but me and my husband, my husband thought that all children were born with the same temperate personality, and it was a bit of a rude awakening when he realised that they weren't. So every baby is born with a personality and temperament, and we can't change that. So if she is sassy, it we have to meet her where she's at. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that and accept that when we make a big change, change is strange, especially when it's moving a seat space it's they are going to have big feelings about it and they're going to vocalize that and our role as parents is to decide what our boundaries are mm. and make sure we feel confident and happy with those boundaries and then take the time to put that boundary in place so before we even start with moving away from co-sleeping my suggestion would be to really make sure that that is what you want to do that you're confident doing it and be calm when you do it being calm and relaxed about a Hard to do, but it makes a big change. If we make that change and they can see that you're not sure about it, you're a bit worried or you're a bit anxious about it, which is we're human, they are very normal responses to have to a big change, they can sense that and then they find it harder. Mm. Then I would step it down. I'm a massive fan of taking a big goal and then making it into smaller steps. Quite often when we talk about making a change, they talk about doing it all in one go to go from co faid sleeping to their own sleep space in their own room and they stay there all night. That is a lot. Just saying that makes me exhausted. But stepping it down and doing it in smaller steps is often the key to helping them to adapt to those changes, especially if they are sassy, But also it helps just make it more sustainable because part of making a change, and I'm always honest about this is that you are going to be you are going to be changing something that you do and it's more about us than the little ones every single time. and chances are you are going to be tired because you'll be getting less sleep for a little bit, but those are very temporary. And then I probably would logistically I would get their sleep space set up. so I'd have a think about do you want to go straight into their own bedroom into their own sleep space. Or do you want to get them to um, set up in their bed first and then move them into their seat space? There's no right or wrong. There's no definitive, this is what it's got to look like, or prescriptive approaches, um, strategies on my approach. If you wanted to go into their own bedroom, my suggestion would be, sounds really super scary, but I would just go going home and see what happens. Logistically, get the bed set up stick with your normal way of settling your normal bedtime routine and settling to sleep Thing to note there is there is that you're still with them um at bedtime during the routine but it's normal for them to take much longer to fall asleep because they're in a new room it's a change it's novel they want to explore it so it allows time for that and just the nature of a change it's going to take a little bit longer and then my suggestion would be once they're asleep come out of the room and then it's about just giving yourself time so i've put a time limit on it i would try and stick with that for three to five nights and just see what happens they might just surprise you and um, at night time when they wake my suggestion would be to always when they wake up this is all these have always been my steps as a nanny and they're exactly the same steps that i've done with Beth. when they wake up breathe ask yourself what are they you, what are they trying to communicate to you because this helps you get in that place where you're able to respond to them rather than going to that place where you're just reacting and going in all stressed and flustered again so easy to do if they wake up and she's in what i call sleep space she's not crying she's emotionally easy my suggestion would be leave her to it if she gets out of the bedroom or she's asking for support i'd always support straight away And when we we are changing a boundary, we always start with reassurance first. So if she comes out of your bedroom, no questions. Questions are the killer of everything parenting. So no asking, why are you out of bed? What are you doing? Why are you awake? They have no idea. Always meet with reassurance first. Oh, I see you're out of bed. Um, It's okay. I'm here. Everything's okay. Reassurance first. Then we reinforce that boundary. But it's sleepy time. Let's get you back to bed. I'll stay with you get settled into bed, move back out again once they're asleep. And then, once you've done that for three or five nights, check in with where the nights are. If the nights are settled and sustainable, you don't need to make any other changes. Sometimes we may need to look at what's going on at bedtime, how they go to sleep, but that's quite far down the line. And if you did want to step that down, it would be having the bed in your room for three or four nights, take the time to settle her in that sleep space rather than in your bed, be prepared, she's sassy for questions but why can't I come into your bed? Why do I need to sleep here? Can I come into your bed? And again, it's reassurance first. I hear you, I can see you're having a hard time settling in your new bed. Change is strange, isn't it? But mummy and daddy's bed or oh, that was very presumptuous of me there, but that bed is out of um out of bounds. You know, we're gonna settle here, take the time to settle them, repeat. And then once they've accepted the sleep space for so three or four nights in there, and then you can move into their own bedroom.
0: Mm. So hopefully that helped. So helpful and so, so interesting. And I think she'll be really pleased with that. Um, I think you saying that right there, one of the, the most helpful pieces of advice is not asking questions and staying calm and going, I can see you're out of bed. It's all fine, but it's sleepy time. So enforcing the boundary. So I think this is, Enforcing the boundary is one of the hardest things in parenting because um oh, yeah. yeah, and particularly at night because it's so easy. You're exhausted, you've got work the next morning, you've got another child in the next room that you don't want to wake up and you go, Do you know what? Just come back into bed, whatever, we'll deal with it tomorrow. But um, and again, you know, you're saying there are there are no bad habits at all, but in order to make that change to happen do you think that sticking to that boundary is one of the most important things or what do you say about that
1: well it, it you've completely you've hit the nail on the head there like it's so hard to make change in order to see a change and to make a change we need to make change within ourselves and that can be really hard because we know what we're doing it might not be ideally what we want to do or where we ideally we're at with our, infant, our little one, sleep but making any change that it's hard work we're tired we're worried about other siblings fyi sibling is this is one of the things that lots of families use as a barrier to change i can't do it because i've got somebody else in the house mm-hmm. sibling it's a very normal i'll always um hear that worry first it's a very normal worry and mm-hmm. um, it's normal to, to to get stressed out about sib- disturbing a sibling siblings tend to have very good tolerance for each other's night noise if you put a strange baby in there they'll be like what is that noise what's going on they'll probably be mm-hmm. up and into it um but their own sibling chances are they wouldn't even mm-hmm. hear it and Absolutely. if they do, again part of my approach will be making changes is just accept that when we make a change it's going to have it's going to be a disruptive a disruption to the whole household but it is usually only temporary i think that is the key thing
0: I think this yeah absolutely and you're right about siblings they barely bat an eyelid (laughs) but um the thing this is the thing about it is when like because I've been there with both my kids where you want to make a change but you're absolutely exhausted that you can't face it then they come down with a cold then you're going on holiday and you just think oh my god when am I just going to do this and I'm going to be totally (laughs) honest with you Kerry and you know I know you're not judging me but a lot there will there's a There are a lot of people who do follow me that are very anti-sleep training and that's fine. And I totally get it because I but I I ended up doing like rip off the plaster, let's do this quickly in three nights with, you know, both times. And I'm not saying I'd do that to them now. You know, if they wake up now, I still respond to them, but they don't, they're not in the habit of now that they're out of the habit or whatever it is that that they they can fall asleep independently. Um, they don't need me every three hours or every two hours when they're waking up and so um, they only now wake if they've had a bad dream if they're poorly if they genuinely need me because there's there's a lot there's a big thing about children if you don't respond to them they'll shut down they stop but but I would argue that my kids maybe they did do that in the first instant and and I've you know I I did not do that lightly I was in a bad place um but they they definitely do still wake up and I and need and show that they need me even though they have been sleep trained yeah well yeah
1: yeah what I was there's absolutely zero judgment here because everything well you made the decision being the expert of your children what is going to work for them Mm. and lots of families end up in that position where they they explore doing something gently oh yeah it just doesn't work for them and that's okay even if you didn't do that that's okay you know what's going to work for them do they your question about whether they do have they shut down it's so hard because there's so many nuances to that but you have to look at what they're doing now and if they are upset or poorly or they genuinely need you they are calling out for you they Mm. are so i don't buy into that that it's you can't just say that every child that sleep trained is never going to call out again for support because I know and you know that that's not the truth. It, mm. it, it can be really tricky to
0: navigate. I think it's really hard for parents to admit when they've done it because you know if somebody's saying to you that's abuse, you're you're you've done something really awful to your child. You know you're you're never going to want you you don't want to admit that to yourself. Yeah. Do you? But then we have to, I was going to ask you about weighing up the the, the mental health and welfare of the parents here, because, you know, if sleep and in a lot of families, sleep is destroying the family, you know, sleep is, is causing so much upset because no one's getting any sleep Um, and people are shouting at each other or, you know, really unhappy. At what point do we say, do you know what, actually we need we really need to do something about sleep here because... The, it's the catalyst of everything right now
1: it's so hard and I just don't think I'm the voice of authority to tell a parent when is the best time mm-hmm. to do it I'm mm-hmm. just not here to tell parents what the right thing to do is and when they should do that thing because it's just impossible nobody I genuinely believe that nobody wants to keep train their children and listen to their mm-hmm. children get upset yeah. um I'm also really pragmatic and always honest my Approach is never a class buying guarantee it, it comes back to what we we're saying earlier that nothing ever works for everybody and some little ones just don't respond to going super slowly they they prefer bigger boundaries almost mm. to, to actually get there so yeah it's such a it's such a tricky one to navigate could I do it a hundred percent definitely not yeah. but it doesn't mean that that is the right thing for everybody else and I hand on I do not judge parents that have done it I've got friends that have done it you know Mm. colleagues and we we're all just doing our best in that moment and doing the right thing for our children and I completely agree with you if you've got to the point where you have tried everything and nothing has worked and you've got a super stressed out and unhappy household and three or four nights of tears the trade-off of that is everybody's happier Mm. it's, it's tricky that mm-hmm. is that trade-off and um, mm-hmm. the only thing I'd like to say there is that and I'm really ha- genuinely happy that you found something that worked for you it sounds like sleep training was successful for you but I do want to just share that that is not the case for everybody lots of people oh, go nice. into sleep training mm-hmm. that it is guaranteed that mm-hmm. does drive me a bit long because you'll hear it's the only way to get to successful night's sleep and that um it's guaranteed to work it really isn't the case Mm. and I think if you're going to do something with a with a tier approach my suggestion would be to think about the time if it's going to work as you said it's like ripping off a class it is going to work in three or four days it is very very quick Mm. if you've been doing it for weeks like even seven to ten days and it hasn't worked chances are it's not going to work so my My advice around that is, if you feel that that is the best approach for your little one, try it, but put a time limit on it. And if it really isn't working within that time, then I would park it and Mm. think: Are there any other ways to make sleep sustainable?
0: Absolutely. And also, just because you sleep train at a certain point, and we haven't really defined sleep training, but let's presume sleep training means involving some crying. Um, Yeah. If. If you ask, if you do sleep chain when they're one or whatever, it doesn't mean you then have to do that every time they go through a bad sleep phase or you know it's a phase where they're waking up like we've been we did it with my son around eight months because he was overstimulated co-sleeping and he would just wake up and want to play rough and tumble all night so we put him in his own room um but then he went through a period of being really ill around 15 months where we would respond to him three or four times a night and one of us would go and rock him so it doesn't mean you're you have to do it forever it's just like whatever It's so, so much of parenting, which I, which we don't talk about very much is you have, it has to be about what the parents going through as well, because you're the one that has to put in the boundaries and you're the one that has to stay up all night rocking the baby. And you're, you know, the, the babies kind of are so, they, they make it really clear what they want and what they Mm -hmm. need. Um, But the parents don't. And quite often we can get to a really dark place because we're not putting our own needs first or not even anywhere near where we are our children yeah
1: yeah no I do agree and one of the biggest things that I've learned as a parent is that we have to look after our own needs first like if we're not meeting our own needs and that could be so many parents will tell me I'm too scared to go and make a sandwich because my baby will cry and I'm like go and don't ever be scared to make a sandwich you have to go to the toilet you need to drink you need to make that sandwich even if your little one is crying in the sling or next to you on the floor while you make that sandwich or go to the toilet, that's okay. Tears crying isn't something or be scared of. It can have a it can trigger tears can definitely trigger a response in us because again, it's all that we we need to make sure that they we're listening to our babies. Um But it's not to be fair, and we can't always go straight away. So my approach is care it out. It's not leaving them to cry or crying it out or or withholding a response for a certain amount of time. But it's not that we can stop every single tear, and neither would we want to. And what you said there about, you know, not having to do it again, I will be honest, for some little ones, you do, every time they go through a blip, you do have to repeat that process. Mm. But it does sound like for your little one, it doing it just that once was enough for them, that it helped them to move forward.
0: Well, it helped me get out of a dark place. And then, and then because I know I've got that there to fall back on if I need it, if I get to that dark place again, I may have to use it again. But like my little boys had surgery, but because we've had three months of him relatively sleeping, you know, us getting okay sleep, I was able to then be there for him in the night. And I wasn't, you know, feeling like I needed to, I was I, you know, I'm not saying I did do this, but in the dark place, I would feel like I need to just, throw you down into your cot I'm so yeah. furious with getting up for the sixth time in the night or I'm so furious with you climbing on me when I'm trying to sleep and I'm letting you in my bed you know I wasn't in that place because yeah. um, I'd had this sleep and I knew that he really genuinely needed me and it wasn't just that he couldn't go back to sleep independently because he's never done it um, yeah. it was yeah, anyway. So, you know, I, I'm glad we've had that conversation because I I didn't I, I don't want to be a fraud and pretend to you that I haven't done that because the reason I got you on the podcast is because I've had a sleep consultant who's got more well, she's but you know, even so she's not she's not saying she'd ever advise just crying it out. Um yeah. she was again very caring, but I had You know, I wanted to chat to you to see what your approach was. And and a lot of people are so keen to listen to what you say about co-sleeping and how you'd get out of it. Um, So thank you. But also the last question I do have for you is I had another question from another listener about two year old refusing naps. And I'm also going through this as well. So my little boy, again, was meant to be going down for his nap while we did this podcast, but he just wouldn't go down. And I didn't push it. I wasn't going to leave him to cry, particularly not at lunchtime when I know he's starting to drop it. Um, so what do you, how would you go about that? The
1: crying for a nap? Or... No,
0: just when they start to refuse a nap. Like, how do you navigate the nap drop? Okay, I...
1: so moving, dropping that nap altogether happens from, it's a spectrum, I don't believe that it happens at an exact age. Um, and that age can be anywhere from 18 months, probably to three three and a half, four. There's such a huge spectrum. Like most things on my approach, it will always be when your little one is ready so or when they are showing signs that it's impacting their sleep. The signs that they are ready to drop their nap, they just refuse it altogether. It gets pushed late. As soon as they start napping past 2, 3 p.m., I would call time on the, on the nap. Um, signs that it's impacting their sleep. Bedtime gets really super late and it's not working for you they might wake for a long chunk of time at night time or they might start waking early so there's the signs um dropping that nap i think it's really important to acknowledge that it is 100% a transition and it takes time to navigate that um you might find that they when they are ready to drop it I, quite a lot of little ones around 18 months to 2 years old go through a bit of a nap refusal stage where they just realize well, actually i and refuse it, and this might happen. So my suggestion would be when that happens, I would keep keep calm, keep relaxed, but keep offering that nap for at least 10 days. If they haven't napped for 10 days, then I would probably call time on it. And again, if they're not settled within that 20 to 30 minutes of starting settling them to sleep, I would park it as well. Mm-hmm. And then if you feel if they are fighting it, like I'm sure you don't need to explain what fighting a nap looks like. They're crying, they're refusing to go down. My suggestion would be to push it later, but keep it shorter first, just to see that maybe they need that nap still, but it needs to be a little bit later and for not as long. And then if you've got to the point where, you know, bedtime is just super late, they don't need that nap. My suggestion would be introduce some quiet time during the day and have some quieter low-key... I mean, we can't avoid going out that's not always logistically possible when you've got more than one child but try to keep your afternoons you know a bit quieter than normal they are going to be a bit more tired while they navigate less sleep during the day try to resist the temptation to bring bedtime super early to overcompensate for them not having a nap because they need bedtime and um, bringing a little bit earlier you can do that by 10 15 minutes but i probably wouldn't recommend doing it any more than that otherwise we end up in this really weird cycle where they go to bed early wake up early then they kind of need the nap, but they don't, and then they're going to be oh, it just it can just get yeah. run in that cycle, and then yeah, just take the time to navigate that transition.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's amazing advice. Um, What I tend to do at the moment is if he refuses the nap, but I know he needs it because he's in that bit where he's suddenly realised he doesn't have to have a nap, but then he's he's beside himself by three pm. Um, yeah, I and you I'm sure you don't advocate this but this is just a a mum tip I will wait half an hour an hour and then I will go out in the car and usually after like 10 minutes he's and then he'll have a shorter nap because it's in the car but then it just stops that nightmare afternoon where they're beside themselves and it's really sad to watch when they are just absolutely beside themselves
1: such a dog it's so hard they get so tired that they don't actually know what to do with themselves I've done exactly the same as a nanny I probably wouldn't do that with Betsy because she gets really bad car sick Um, and every time she goes in the car she pukes
0: oh (laughs)
1: god it's horrific um But yeah, as a nanny, I would definitely do that. Like, whatever you need to do to get them to sleep for 20 minutes just to get everybody to bedtime, for sure.
0: Yeah, okay. Oh, my gosh, that's so hard if you can't fall back on the car. You literally then just have to... Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, we're not, we have got a car, but we, I mean, we're hardly ever really in it. I, well, I try to avoid it because she's so sick. But, yeah, we do a long car journey. Within five, ten minutes, she's vomiting.
0: Oh, bless her. And you, that is really hard. Oh it's just a lot of <laughs> Yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, well, Kerry, thank you so, so much. Um, you've been absolutely amazing. And I feel like we've gone quite, sorry, quite deep. My, uh, my passion came out there that I have to just... No, I love passion. <laughs> and I'm really glad
1: that you felt that you could share your experience and you're not a fraud for doing something that worked for you and yeah I'm just really glad that you felt that you could be honest about that
0: well thank you it's because you're so non-judgmental you're so like whatever works for the family yes, whatever point. um and yeah and I'm so glad that you're getting on so well with Betsy and oh, she you. is absolutely gorgeous oh my gosh oh, she's so dope.
1: really can't argue with that she's yeah. cute but do not be fooled <laughs> <laughs>
0: do not be called. oh yeah but oh anyway Kerry thank you so much I know the people that listen are going to be so excited to listen to this episode with you um and thank you for giving me your time I appreciate it more than you will ever know no thank you honestly it's such an honor to be asked I love any
1: opportunity to talk about sleep and it's been so lovely chatting to you
0: oh all right then well have a great rest of your afternoon and Take care and um yeah I will absolutely take you up on your offer if you ever want to talk motherhood manifesting, you know, any of the stuff that I talk about, then that would be amazing. I'd love to. Yes, definitely. I am definitely up for that. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. Um, take care. You're welcome. Bye bye. So how amazing was Kerry and how passionate did I get about justifying sleep training? Um I'm doing it for myself, but also for all you mums who have got to desperate times and you just need quick results. And, you know, we all question what what effect that's going to have on our children. But um, we kind of know the only people that do it are the people that know that it's the right thing for the whole family. Um, If you ever want to if anyone's like wondering about sleep training or changing sleep, please um, get in touch with Kerry because firstly, she's absolutely amazing. She's also got some really affordable e-courses. She's basically got a way that anybody can access her resources. So she's got loads of free stuff on her Instagram um, and a podcast. So go and check her out. But also if anybody does want to chat through the sort of quick fire sleep training with me, um, I would be so happy to share because, so I was a hardcore gentle parent and then I ended up getting to a desperate place with first child and then the second and um, I sleep trained and what I would say is it is the best thing I've ever done it's changed everything made me love being a parent um, and also just feel so much more in control of the situation and I know a lot of people will judge me for that um but it's just really worked for us as a family and my sister was the same as me she was like I will never ever sleep train I can't do it and then we talked her through it and she's the same she's she's done it and she said oh my gosh I I'll, I'll never look back so if you are on the fence about it and you just want to chat it through please get in touch because it can change your life. It really can. Uh, But how amazing was Kerry? My gosh, I loved her. She's just so lovely, so experienced. And what a gorgeous person. Thank you, Kerry, for coming on the podcast. Right, guys, have an amazing rest of your week. Lots of love.